David, are you an atheist? Yes. When did you become an atheist? Uh, around age 12. Believing in God makes no sense. It, it's, to, to me, it's the dumbest thing. It's, it's, it's for people that can't accept the fact that they're going to die and rot in the ground like I'm going to do, and, and it gives them some relief from, from that thought because it's not the nicest thought in the world. Are you an atheist? Yes. Yes, I am. Yes. Yes. Yes, sir. Are you an atheist? I am. Yeah, I'm an atheist. Uh, yes, I am. Alex, do you believe in God's existence? No, I do not. How long have you been an atheist? I would say probably since I was about 15 years old. So you don't believe in the existence of God? No, not really. What happened when you were 15? Um, I started questioning things, and I really just started to think about the logic behind everything. For the most part, we are not shown the evidence for there being a higher power. If we were, I almost guarantee that almost every atheist would immediately agree to there being a higher power. Are you atheist? Yes. Yes. Why? Um, well, I just haven't seen enough uh, evidence, I suppose. I grew up in a Christian family, and just over the few years d during high school and as I grew up, I just realized that there wasn't a lot of evidence to support that belief system. Are you open to evidence? Um, I, I think I am open to evidence. It just would have to be extraordinarily compelling, like out of this world compelling. If you could be given evidence, reasonable evidence, would, it, would you listen to it? Yeah, I would. You're someone who has no faith or no belief in a higher power or a creator, but if you were shown evidence, you would change your mind because you're open. Do you believe that God exists? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands or anything. Is God real? I think that if, if I were a betting man, and I'm not, I would venture to guess that every single one of us in this room, including myself, has thought that at one time. Am I right? Is God real? Is the existence of God even true? Liam, my middle child, he has been asking these questions constantly. It seems like every week he has a new question about God. Is God real? How do we know he's real if like the people who said when they realized they were just teenagers, he's realizing that at nine years old, I can't see him, Daddy. I can't talk to him like we're talking to him now, so how do I know he's real? In the same regard, a little personal story that's fun. Uh, last Thursday, he was sick with a stomach flu for about half a day. I think the Lord only lasted him half a day. But about halfway through that time, he was on the floor, and he just starts crying. And he starts crying out to God, God, please, with tears in his eyes, take this sickness from me. This hurts. I don't want it anymore. So from a, a child whose faith is questioning, still, still grasps an idea that God is true and he does exist. And so my hope today is that I want to give you some evidences of God in the universe that show that God is actually real. There are many of evidences in the universe that God is real. I'm going to share three of them with you today. The person asked, if I could show you evidence, would you believe? And the lady, her response was, it would have to be out of this world. Today, my hope is that you'll see that this evidence I'm going to show you is absolutely that, outside of this world. And it's going to be absolutely neat. The first one is that this. The universe has a cause. 
the universe has a cause, right? We, we see things all around us. We see the rain. That was beautiful. It helped our plants. We see the flowers in springtime that are beautiful. How many are, are happy to see the flowers bloom after that wonderful snowstorm we had just a few months ago? The trees are in full green now. We, we have lakes. We have rivers. We have mountains. We have children. We have me and you looking at people. We have fathers, daughters, mothers, sons, wives, husbands, dogs, cats, pets, animals. We see creation and we wonder, how did it get here? How did it get here? My wife and I were on a cruise about a decade ago. And after everybody gone to sleep, I usually do this. I usually will wait till the, the boat is kind of empty Everybody's kind of asleep. And I would go on, on the top deck, or as, as high as I can get, as high as I can get to see out over the water. And with nobody around, if you've ever went on a cruise, it's kind of awe-inspiring. The idea that to realize how small we really are in this world is that there was nothing but water for miles. Nothing but water. And I'm in this small little city on, 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 on the ocean, right? And we were going to St. Thomas, so we were out in the Atlantic. But nothing but water for miles and miles and miles as far as I could see. Now what's neat about the water is on the water was a reflection of thousands of stars. Have you ever walked outside at night? I know you have. Even in Athens, when it seems like a good dark night and there's a new moon and the moon isn't out and it's dark and you look up and you see the vast array of the stars in the sky. You know, they estimate that we can see on the perfect night perfect darkness, with perfect visibility, we can see with our naked eye about 4,000 stars. That's amazing, isn't it? 4,000 stars. And isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful? I, I want to go even further. You can imagine, ever since I was four years old, man, I wanted to, the, the, the idea of space just made, made my spark, right? And so my, the first this is 20 years ago now. 20 years ago, my first mission control, I worked the back room in mission control at the Johnson Space Center. And Ed Liu, I was working third shift, because he got paid more for working third shift, so from 10 to 6, 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. And about an hour and a half after I checked in my first ever mission, my first ever back room in mission support, Ed Liu was an astronaut. He was doing his first EVA, an extravehicular activity, where he was in a suit and going outside of the shuttle, just tethered by a cord, essentially, to what he was on, whether the station or the shuttle. And for every astronaut, for every single one that I worked in mission, that they had an EVA, the moment they actually could step out into this into the space, there was a pause. Houston knew there was no communication for just a while. Could you imagine that first view with nothing unaiding you? The idea to see this, that this, the, the earth below you in its beautiful array of colors and blues and, and browns and greens, and then just the stars around you. There's this pause. It's called the overview effect. They've, they've coined it where the astronauts just stand in awe. But that's not even big enough. That's not even big enough to show you the evidence of God. Because even when I think about that, even when I stand on the deck of a cruise and think, how was everything made? Where did it all come from? I can give you a very clean Sunday school answer. And it's found in Genesis 1.1. Go ahead and put that on the screen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, we're done. 
That's it. Case closed. <laughs> and this, guys, is absolutely true. Right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything we see and, and things we haven't even seen. Created by God Almighty. But to the skeptic, that's not enough. Right? How do we even know? Because science gives a pretty different answer to that. So let's keep going. Let's read more scriptures. Let's dive into it more. Psalm 19.1 says this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. How can you not go outside and see? Wow, this is an amazing proclamation of God's glory that He made the stars for us. How about Psalm 33, 6? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of His mouth. God is diving even more into how this happened. By the breath of his mouth, the stars were made. How about Psalm 147, 4? It says this. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Now, only in the northern hemisphere, how many stars could we see on a perfect night? About 4,000, right? Have you named 4,000 things in your life? Let's keep going with that. It is estimated that there are 100 to 400 billion stars just in our own galaxy. Now, our galaxy is pretty small, comparatively. It's only 100,000 light years in diameter, which means that if I could travel at the speed of light, which is super fast, I would have to start one side of the Milky Way, go to the other side of the Milky Way. It would take me 100,000 years to do it. And comparatively, it's pretty small the other uh, things we've seen. The closest galaxies that's similar to ours in, in size is 2.5 million light years away. So that slide here, so, the, so given an estimated 100 billion galaxies and an estimated 100 to 400 billion stars, this is how many stars are in the universe. At the lowest number, that's a lot of stars. That's a lot of stars. If I were to count to just a billion, put the next one up, counting one number every second, it would take me 31 years, 251 days, 7 hours, 46 minutes, and 40 seconds. So if you ever wanted to count to a billion, you better start now. That's crazy. Now, if it takes me that long to count to a billion, how long do you think it would take me to count all the stars? Doing this ridiculous math, this is how many times you'd have to count to a billion. There's your math lesson for today, folks. He determines the number of the stars and calls each by name. Whoa. Man, every time I think about that, it gives me chills. I hope it gives you chills. I've only named three kids in my life. I can't imagine maybe a billion times all those ones and a bunch of zeros. Yet he knows each of them. He created each of them. He knows them by name. How does a star come to be, though? Right, guys, I only show the calculation for stars. I didn't include planets, asteroids, meteors, dust. What else is out there? 
right? How is it that there are stars? How is it that there's a planet that sits in the middle of that all? How is it that there are plants, that there are animals, that there are people, that there's a person on a cruise ship or a person in space? How is it? What caused it all? At the end of the day, we're going to say something about both camps. Whether you believe in God or not, is that both of those take space. They take space. Hebrews 11 says this about faith. It says in the first verse, Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, faith is something we come to when we don't have all the information. Faith is something we come to when we don't quite understand everything that's going on, when we haven't seen with our eyes everything, we have to have faith. So, without a doubt, if you believe that God doesn't exist, it takes faith to do that too. Because if you say God does not exist, it's only because you haven't seen Him, and it's only because you can't prove that He doesn't exist. So even if you don't believe that, you have to have faith. So the Christian has faith, absolutely, in what I say we could stop on, Genesis 1-1, that God created the heavens and the earth. And that takes faith as well. So let's go back to the question then. What caused the universe? Science says it all happens with random chaos. They call it the Big Bang Theory. And for all the universe to be created through this Big Bang, that also takes faith. But you may not know exactly what the Big Bang is. And so I found this video by National Geographic. And I want you to watch it because it kind of explains to you what the Big Bang Theory is. The Big Bang. The Big Bang is an amazingly difficult thing to wrap your brain around, which isn't surprising. When you're trying to think about the universe being smaller than the head of a pin, actually smaller than an atom, about as small as the proton at the center of an atom. Whatever the universe was at the very beginning, some 13.7 billion years ago, we think it was tiny, an infinitesimal nugget of space. And then something happened, triggering the most colossal explosion in history. In a billionth of a billionth of a billionth of a second, the universe grew from the size of that tiny point to something billions of miles across. This colossal blast created everything, all the matter we see in the universe today. And it did all this without even making a sound. When one sees the Big Bang portrayed in a film, there's always a Big Bang, a noise. Of course, that's silly because sound doesn't propagate in space. But what's often overlooked is that the Big Bang is not just an explosion that happened at some moment in time at some point in space. It was not just an explosion of material into an empty universe that was sitting there waiting to be filled. It was the explosion of space and time into existence to begin with. And that's what trips most of us up. 
before the Big Bang. There was nothing, literally nothing. And the black void of space is something. So is time. To ask what's before the Big Bang, what's before there is time, is really a meaningless question. And likewise, to ask where the Big Bang occurred is meaningless because there was no space. I tell you what, for the Christian, this is an amazing video. Because science screams out that there's a God. Doesn't it? You want an example of existence of our God that is out of this world. Let me show you what that means. Not only they say that the Big Bang was maybe the smaller than a proton particle of some kind of matter. But they didn't notice that they said it was also space and time. Not just matter, but space and time itself. When we think about the things we see, that's what we think about is just matter, matter, matter. We don't think about that there was a beginning of time that continues on today. We don't think about the space as their idea that, from what it said, that nothing became something. And, that, and, and even the black void of space is something. Doesn't that blow your mind? That's what's tripping scientists up. So here's the thing. And here's what's true about God and the existence of why he is the first cause of the universe. Is that in order for there to be a Big Bang, even if this is true, and I'm not even going to deny a Big Bang, okay? Let's just assume that it is the truth. That there was this proton small thing, that there was a big blast, there was nothing into something, right? Then that means if at, there was matter, space, and time that was an effect of a first cause. We all learn cause and effect when we're young, right? If I were to take this book and let go, what would be the effect? It would fall. What would be the cause? Gravity, right? Universal law, right? We learn those things. We learn that if I fall down, I get hurt at a young age. We learn cause and effect. But I can't keep going backwards in time to effect, to effect, to effect. If I have a bunch of dominoes on this stage and, and they're all turned over, there was still that, that first domino is what they're saying, the Big Bang caused everything, that first domino. But here's the problem. That first domino didn't do what? Knock itself over. It had to take something from the outside of itself to flick it. You understand? So, when it comes to God, when it comes about the idea of everything, matter, space, time, being blown into existence, there has to be something that's above matter, something that's above space, something that's above time that set it all in motion. And that, my friends, is God, that he is the one who said, by the breath of his mouth, let there be light. And there was, that he created there has to be a cause beyond all the things we see and know. Something that is eternal, that never has a beginning, and never will have an end. If that is not out of this world enough for you, and that, my friends, even when it comes to science, in my scientific mind and the, and the, and the base of it, that is logical. 
Hebrews 11. Excuse me. Let's go on verses 1 through three there. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. This clearly says that that nothing, that scientists say there was absolutely nothing. God created something out of nothing by his very voice. The universe has a first cause. It has a cause, and that cause is God himself. He is the one that made the stars. He is the one that made the planets. He is the one that in his beauty of creation said, let there be, and there was, and he called it good. That's the first one. The second argument is this. The universe has order. It has order. Now, we have certain laws that our universe follows. We mentioned one with the book, right? Gravity. Newton's laws of motion. The one I want to focus on today, though, I want to focus on the second law of thermodynamics. The second law of thermodynamics states that the entropy of a closed system will never decrease. Got it? Everybody understand? (laughs) I'm not going to get into the mathematics of this one. And I'm not going to explain this like a, like, a, like a physics professor would. And you don't really want me to. But I'm going to make it super simple for you. Everything decays. Disorder always increases. It is natural for everything to lose order. We see this every day, all the time in life, right? Weeds will take over our yards in the springtime. We let them. Cars will break down and need new transmissions like my van did a couple years ago. Even if I bought a brand new car, brand new shiny toy, with all all the bells and whistles, and just stuck it in the garage and left it, over time, it will be worthless. It will break down. The order will cease to be. It ultimately becomes less organized. But let me explain it to you from the idea of probability here. Because the probability of counting all those stars, even one a second, would be impossible for us, right? So I have here a puzzle. This puzzle is 24 pieces. It's been in my office since my babies were little. They stay with me. They would play with it every once in a while. But I have this puzzle. If I were to throw it up in the air, what is the probability that there would be order in that puzzle? And what I mean by that, the only possibility that that puzzle has order is if it's put together. One possibility. It's put together. Did it happen? Nope. How many times would I have to throw it up before that would happen? Well, let's see. No. (laughs) Mathematically, there's only one possible outcome for this puzzle to have order. But there's a seemingly infinite, not quite there, but seemingly infinite probability that it's not going to happen. We don't see that anywhere. Now, I said the, order, the universe has order, though, and I've just explained to you that the, or, that the universe is full of disorder and that we naturally, by law, by the second law of thermodynamics, everything is in decay. Everything breaks down. So where is this order that I'm talking about? How does that even show evidence of God? Let's look at Romans 1.20. It says this, 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Now let's turn over to Colossians chapter 1. It says this, The Son, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So from the Christian standpoint, the order is the idea that Jesus, God created through Jesus in the Spirit. And he is holding everything together in his order. Now, for the skeptic, that might not be enough, right? But where do we see order? Where's the one thing we know we see that this doesn't apply? Life. Life. Let me show you how. I don't even have to take evolution here to talk about this. Even if we broke down the probability of of life based upon evolution, which, by the way, is higher than the stars in the universe, if you can grasp that, we still would have the ancestral issues. Now, what do I mean by that? What is the probability of your mom meeting your dad? It is 1 in 20,000. That's just meeting. Add in the idea that they stay together long enough to have you. That's an extra 1 in 2,000. Now add in the probability of what needs to come together in the DNA for your mom and your dad perfectly for just you. We're now at one in 400 quadrillion. But it's not just your mom and dad. Last time I checked, none of our mom, immediate mom and dad is Adam and Eve. It had to be perfect for every one of your ancestors previously. So to be perfect... For your ancestors, I will. The probability that you, a single point, would have order, that you would become in existence, is this. 1, 10 to the 2.6 millionth power. Guys, I've heard Mel Robbins put it like this. Imagine there was one life preserver thrown somewhere in the ocean on earth, and there's exactly one small turtle in all those oceans swimming underwater somewhere. The probability that you came about, that you exist today, is the same as that turtle sticking head up out of the water in the middle of that life preserver on the first try. So, the chances of you existing based upon science is basically zero. Yet you have life. The Bible says God, through Jesus, created you and holds all things together. Psalm 139 kind of puts it like this. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Guys, your life is not basically zero. All right? You are a miracle. 
You are a miracle. God has ordered your life into existence to begin with. Not only that, he has ordained the days that you have written in his book. And, and here's the thing. We don't need to waste that miracle. We don't need to waste that miracle. Speaking of life, my third point is this. Humans have a conscience. The right from wrong, right? The little, the little devil on the shoulder, the little angel on the shoulder. You know what I'm saying? We, we have an idea of what right and wrong is. Do you believe that the world is bad or unjust? How do you know? What are you comparing injustice to? How do you know what justice is to begin with? And we can all see, without a shadow of a doubt, even my little child, that there's, that there's injustices in this world. Would you not agree? Everyone follows a moral code of some kind. But what is the standard on that base right and wrong on? How do you know something's wrong if you don't know what right is? How do you know what right is if you don't know what wrong is? Or vice versa. And might I add that science is learning that it isn't culture. It isn't conditioning that is causing this moral code. It's not because mommy and daddy taught you all the time. Watch this study done by Yale. I think you'll be fascinated. We're here at Yale University's Infant Cognition Center. Um, this center researches what infants know about their physical worlds and their social worlds and has been doing so for about the last 10 years. So my work here as a graduate student is what infants understand about people as good people and bad people. Whether a young infant, before they're being taught about these kinds of concepts, um, could make distinctions like these. All right, so we'll have you sit right here with her and then okay. just scoot her all the way up to the front of the table there. We run puppet shows in the lab. I need to do something fun now, okay? They are um, either hand puppets or little wooden cool. shapes in which one character plays the role of the good guy and another character plays the role of the bad guy. Close the curtain. One puppet tries but fails to get to the top of the hill, sort of struggling and, and falling back down. On alternating trials, we show infants one character who comes and bumps the climbing character up the hill. And down goes the curtain. If you're ready, up goes the curtain. On another trial, we have a character who comes and bumps the character down the hill. Down goes the curtain. And up goes the curtain. An infants see um, that interaction sort of over and over again between six and 14 times. After they're sort of finished looking at it, when they're nice and bored, we simply ask them to choose between the two characters. All right, great. So we are all done with that part. We're just going to have her choose between the puppets now. That one. All right. Good job. That was Very So parents nice. often ask us what it might mean that their baby seems to tell the difference between a nice guy and a mean guy. And one of the things I think it means is that we spend a lot of time worrying about teaching children the difference between um, good guys and bad guys in the world, good things and bad things but that, in fact, these things might be something that infants just come to the world with. Infants come into the world with moral codes, a conscience, right versus wrong. The Bible talks about this. Romans 2, it says this. Indeed, 
When Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. There's a conscience. The scripture says science is showing it. <laughs> All these things are true. We have a sense of law. And if we are made with a sense of law, if we have a sense of a standard to judge this law, there must be a lawgiver. There must be one who has given this law to us. And in Scripture, it shows that this, that the law of God is written on our hearts. Guys, I hope, I hope that just these three evidences, that if you are a skeptic in the existence of God, will show you that there is, in fact, ways that we can show that it's true. God is real. And he created the heavens and the earth. He is the first cause. He has given order. When, when all of life around us shows no order, the fact that we are alive is a miracle because he has said it so. And we have a conscience, right or wrong, the law written on our hearts. Why? Why all this? When the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, why? Because long time ago, God had seen us. Before we were made, he decided and knew that he loved us. And that one who made God, who created through his son Jesus, created that life that says that you matter. You matter. You are a miracle. So much so that I don't want to leave you in this chaotic world. I don't want to leave you in the world that's just meant for destruction. For the wages of sin is death. And so he provided a way for us to be saved, to be with him forever. In, in a world that he's creating that's new, that doesn't follow the chaotic laws of this world. It's perfection. No more tears, no more pain. With him forever in glory. John 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And here's the good news. It never will. That chaos will never go on forever, like our law says. Because God is not a part of that. He is outside of matter. He is outside of space. He is outside of time. And that's hard for our minds to grasp. But hopefully I've shown you in some kind of logical way that it is so true. And it's up to us to not waste that miracle. Because he did send his son for us to die on a cross. So that we would be with him forever. And it's up to us. <laughs> we are saved by grace through faith. Whether you believe in science or Christianity, I don't think there has to be an or. I think there can be an and, because Jesus made it all. I pray that today is your day of salvation, where if you were skeptic, you've now seen the evidence that is out of this world, that he is real. You are a miracle, and you should trust in him. Let me pray. God, thank you so much.
for today. Thank you so much for showing yourself to us, revealing yourself to us. Not only in just the plants and our children and other people and rocks and lakes and stars, but through our minds, through logic, through laws, through our conscience. The idea that everything around us is chaotic disorder, yet you, in your probability of where science says we shouldn't exist, say, you matter to me, I love you, I am going to make life. And you have come, Jesus, that we would have life and have it to the fullest. And the idea, Lord, I pray, is that we trust in you in that, so that life may be ours. One day we will not be on this earth. One day we will die. And God, I pray that we are with you in heaven, Lord, that we would have eternal life with you. Thank you for showing us the truth of how majestic and wonderful and awe-inspiring you are. And I'm not even close with what I said today. It blows my mind. It's out of this world. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.